You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I think that many Christians that I know need to get saved. Now, I know I'm coming in a little bit hot, that you're in a chapel that is between classes, but I really believe this, that, that many Christians, at least that I know, they need to get saved. Too many people who generally self-identify as Christians assume too much because they think of themselves as generally good people. They do religious things, and they're able to say, I believe in God. Now, I'm getting a little bit bolder in this as I grow older because of what God has done in my life and in my family's life. My Aunt Carol was dying last year in a hospital bed, and the family started to, to gather around. She was dying of cancer. They started to come, and they started to visit her. And uh, as she was, was laying there dying, my mom was able to have a one-on-one conversation with my Aunt Carol. And my Aunt Carol grabbed my mom's hand. Now, all of my family members, they, they would all say that they're Christians. They would say that they believe in God. But my dad is the first person who really put his faith in, in Jesus as a, as a teenager. And I've grown up my whole life praying that my extended family would receive Christ. And they would give lip service to it, but they would never really entered into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And so my Aunt, Gar- Aunt Carol, on her deathbed, reaches out and grabs my mom's hand. She's having a one-on-one conversation in a packed hospital room. And my Aunt Carol says to my mom, Ellen, at least I know where I'm going when I die. And my mom grabbed her hand a little bit tighter, leaned in, and said, are you sure? And as my mom is relaying this conversation to me, I just thought, oh, mom, she's dying be gentle. Please just be gentle. But then my mom went on to tell me that she shared the gospel clearly with my Aunt Carol. She'd shared the gospel with her family members, I don't know how many times before in the, the decades between my, the time my parents put their faith in Jesus in that time. But my Aunt Carol hears it really clearly for the first time. And she confesses her sins to God and receives forgiveness. She has a reconciled relationship with God. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what happens next. My Aunt Carol and my dad end up leading my uncle to faith, and he puts his faith in Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then my 89-year-old grandmother puts her faith in Jesus, and all of them want to be baptized. And so the family packs this hospital room. My family we're together when in times like this. We pack the hospital room. And my, my Aunt Carol, before she's baptized, she set, says, I want to say a few words. She said, you know, I wanted to put my faith in Jesus for years now, but I was afraid of what all of you would think. When I found out that I was dying of cancer, all I felt was fear. That I was leaving Billy behind, my uncle. That I was leaving all of you behind. I had so much left that I I wanted to do. But ever since I put my faith in Jesus, she said with tears flowing down her face, her face radiant, she said, all I feel is joy. 
And she was baptized. And then my uncle, my uncle who doesn't talk a lot, says, I want to say a few words. And so when I found out that my wife was going to die, all I felt was anxiety. I would go to bed with anxiety. I'd wake up with anxiety. I had this knot in my stomach that wouldn't go away. But since I put my faith in Jesus, all I feel is peace. And my uncle is baptized. And then my grandmother, who has never in her life crossed my grandfather. If grandpa says something, then it's, it's law. My grandmother, at one point in her life, years before, said, you know, if grandpa's going to hell, then I'm going to hell with him because I want to be with grandpa. Her first act of obedience to Christ was her baptism. It was also her first act of disobedience to her husband. She said in front of the whole family, I am being baptized. I'm being baptized today as my grandpa sits with his arms folded in the corner because I put my faith in Jesus. I just want to say that if you are Christian-ish, if you're kind of sort of maybe a follower of Jesus, if you're half in and half out, there is something that is much better for you. We've been in this vision of Ezekiel, this vision that God gives to Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel and the people of Israel, they're in exile. They're experiencing the, the ramification for their own sin, their own unfaithfulness to God. They're in exile. It's a dark moment for the history of God's people. And the Lord leads Ezekiel into this vision where he sees a valley of dry bones, human bones. And the Lord leads him to this valley of death, and he leads him back and forth over this valley. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? This valley of death representing God's people? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, basically, I don't know. Only you know that, Lord. And God says, all right, if it's up to me, then you prophesy to these bones. You share good news to these bones. You preach to these bones because I want flesh to come on them. And I want breath to enter them. And I want them to be fully alive. And so this is what happens in Ezekiel 37 Verse 7, Ezekiel is speaking, and he says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. This is my first point. Sometimes a person can look like a Christian, but they don't breathe like one. Sometimes a person can look like a Christian, but they don't breathe like one. Sometimes there's a partial work of God that happens in someone's life, but it doesn't go on to completion. Now, I love this rattling 
sound moment in people's lives. I, as a pastor, I get this opportunity to walk with people as they are living in sin. They're living apart from God, and all of a sudden, God starts to communicate to them, starts to draw them, maybe even starts to convict them of, of sin, and they're walking one direction, and all of a sudden, they're, they're halted in their tracks, and they feel an intense pull toward God, and they start to turn, and they, they, they start to take steps toward God. Now, they haven't put their faith in Jesus yet, but there's a rattling sound in their life. You can almost hear it. Even, I think, unbelievers, that they sense something is wrong, something is different with so-and-so. What is going on with them? And it is such a powerful experience that a lot of times people think, well, this is it. Like, I must be a Christian now. I must be like all those other church folk. I must be a Christian. This, this, this moment we call repentance, it is such a powerful moment that a lot of times we think, this has to be it. I've never felt this way before. Now, if God were to continue that work, that person would come to a place of putting their faith fully in Jesus and coming fully alive from the inside out. They would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would experience life like they've never experienced life before. But so often, people experience this powerful work of God in their life, and then they stop before going all in. Arrested development. And they might do religious things. They might go to church. They might have devotions. They might be active in different groups in, in their church. They might do very religious things. They look like a Christian, but they don't breathe like one. They're not fully alive. This is personal to me, not only because of my, my aunt's story and my uncle's story, my grandmother's story, but because of my story. This is my story. I had the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home. It is an incredible privilege to have my parents lead me to, to Christ as a, as a kid. And I, I think that I had a real faith as a kid. But once I hit junior high, once I hit those middle school years, my faith did not grow with me. And all of a sudden, there were, there were two Adam Lipscombs. There was an Adam Lipscomb that was very religious, that went to church, that knew all the answers to Sunday school problems, that, that was active in his youth group. All the old ladies in church loved that Adam Lipscomb because he looked like a Christian. But then when I was with my friends, I didn't breathe like a Christian. My identity I tried to find in, in my friends, and I was, so I was a chameleon wherever I went. I was timid. I, I, I had no sense of, of self-worth. I had this dark inner life. My thoughts were dark dark and filthy. I didn't breathe like a Christian. But in my junior year of high school, I was sitting in an English class, which I'm actually good at and like, but I didn't know an answer to, a, to one of the test problems. Just a little thing. I didn't know an answer to a test problem. So I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm working on the test. The, the classroom's quiet. The teacher's up front. I'm working on my test. And I didn't know the answer to number seven. And my friend-ish, Steve Gamble, was sitting next to me. And I saw that his was filled in. So I, so I kind of looked over at his paper. And then I, I wrote down the answer to number seven. Steve saw me do this. And in the middle of class, everyone's quiet. Everyone is working on their test. In the middle of class, Steve says out loud, loud enough for everybody to hear, loud enough for the teacher to hear. He said, Lipscomb, you say that you're a Christian, 
but you don't act like one. And it was the truest thing that anyone had ever said about me in my entire life. And nobody said a word. All the pencils stopped. Nobody said a word. Everyone was silent. The teacher looked up from her desk, locked eyes with me, and looked back down. And I felt embarrassed and angry. I still don't like Steve that much. But over the course of the coming weeks, conviction entered my life from the Holy Spirit, who is gentle with me and led me into real faith. For real, for real, faith. I had the opportunity to go all in with Jesus. And going all in with Jesus ushered in the most spiritually fruitful year of my entire life. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that I haven't gone on to do bigger and better things. I have. But every good thing that has happened from that moment on was planted in me by the Holy Spirit during that year. A commitment to sexual integrity. And if God were to bless me with marriage, a Christian marriage was happened in that year. A call to ministry happened in that year. Finding my identity in Christ and not in other people happened that year. I had the opportunity to be discipled by my African-American cross-country coach, and a passion for social justice and unity happened in my life that year. I, I lived in a very diverse neighborhood. People from all over the world lived in my, my neighborhood. And God opened my eyes to the people around me and said, I want all kinds of people to be in my church and a vision for what God's church can and will be was given to me that year. Every good gift. I'm 44. I know I'm like ancient to you all. I'm 44 now. Every good gift of my adult life was planted in my soul that year when I put my faith completely in God and came fully alive in Him. So this is the second point that I want to make. Half-dead Christians can come fully alive. Half-dead Christians, we can come fully alive. I didn't think it was possible as a teenager, but half-dead Christians, they can come fully alive. This is what happens, verse 9. The, the, the bones come together the, in this vision. The, the, the flesh forms on them. They, they look like human beings, but they have no breath on them. It is not good enough for God. It's not good enough for Ezekiel. It was not good enough for me. It was not good enough for my aunt. It was not good enough for my uncle. It was not good enough for my grandmother. And so this is what happens. Then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So Ezekiel preaches the gospel. He's, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life. Students, you can come fully alive when you confess your sins to God and receive forgiveness and get a right relationship with God and be filled with his Holy Spirit, you can come fully alive. Not half Christian, not half dead and half alive. You can come fully alive. 
Another prophet, Isaiah, says that, that the, the Lord says, look, I'm, I'm making everything new. I'm doing a new thing. I'm going to exchange your ashes for beauty. I'm going to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. John Wesley describes this new life, this aliveness in one of his journal entries. He says about this person, he says, he has a new life, new senses, new faculties, new affections, new appetites, new ideas and conceptions. His whole tenor of action and conversation is new. And he lives, as it were, in a new world. God, men, the whole creation, heaven, earth, and all therein appear in a new light and stand related to him in a new manner since he was created anew in Christ Jesus. I want to give you a chance to respond to this message because I'm guessing that there are people who are like me who maybe have had a religious past, who, who maybe look a whole lot like a Christian. Maybe you have very religious things that you do. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you have devotions. Maybe you look a lot like a Christian. But there's something about you that other people can't see very well. You don't breathe like one. You've not really received the Holy Spirit because there's something in your life that you don't want to let go of. And you know He's going to take it. And I just want to say, if that's you, there is something better. I'm a living testament of that. And so is my aunt and my uncle and my elderly grandmother. <laughs>